Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. All right, everyone. I am here with Wendy Chisholm, Lois Brady, and Matthew Gugamus. Wendy is a Principal Accessibility Architect at Microsoft, and Lois is a co-founder and CEO of iTherapy, and Matthew is a co-founder and CTO at iTherapy. Welcome, all of you, to This Week in Machine Learning and AI. Thank you. you. Thanks for having us. Fantastic. Fantastic. I think five people is the largest interview that I've done, but we had the advantage of all being in the same room. In this case, I'm seated with Wendy, uh, actually in a a studio in Redmond, uh, and Lois and Matthew are joining us remotely. And today we'll be talking about some of the work that Microsoft is doing around AI for accessibility. I'm really looking forward to digging into that. But before we do, I'd like for our audience to get to know each of you a little bit better and and what you're working on. So uh, let's start with you, Wendy. How did you get involved in working on this intersection of accessibility and artificial intelligence? Yeah, it's a fun story. It starts 25 years ago when I was working on my computer science degree. And I've just always been very curious about not only technology, but the humans that use them. And, you know, if we're building technology and no one's using it, why are we doing it? So I was studying computer science and psychology. And one of my professors asked me to tutor a student in statistics. And I said yes. And I met him. And he was blind. And I had not ever met anyone who was blind before. I wasn't really sure what I was doing, but I was very curious to learn about his experience and what I could do. So we got very creative and used Legos to teach bar graphs, and I used a pin to poke holes in a piece of paper to create a scatter plot. And with the backdrop of my computer science degree, I was like, there's got to be something that computers can do. And that really has been my trajectory ever since. And uh, it's taken me around the world. I got to work at MIT with Tim Berners-Lee. Uh, I got to write an O'Reilly book and go to food camp. <laughs> you <Wow>. know, <laughs> I've got to do a lot of really cool things. And so what that eventually did was, uh, by understanding the diversity of human experience, worldwide and how culture and language can play into that experience and trying to shift how people think and understand the experience of the billion people on the planet who have disabilities, myself included. Um, It's just been a very interesting thing. So what I ended up doing was uh, consulting for a while and helping companies try to make their websites more accessible. And in realizing that People would get very excited about it. They'd think, yeah, I want to do this. It's a great idea. Um, But then not a lot would change. And so uh, I decided to join a large corporation to understand those decisions are made and uh, quickly learned that it's the tooling and that can really help people make better decisions. And a lot of times it's not that people are making decisions that make the world less accessible out of malice, it just a lot of folks don't know. And so the more that we can infuse our engineering systems with the knowledge and information that's needed to help people make good decisions, 
then it's more likely that we'll end up with more accessible outcomes. So that's kind of what I've been doing the last while. And, and that's what led me to AI and machine learning. Because to me, the real juice in, in this, again, is how we bring technology together with humans. And it's about helping people make good decisions. So that's kind of how I ended up there. Okay, and so maybe to <laughs> contextualize what uh, iTherapy is up to, I'll have you talk a little bit about the uh, AI for Accessibility project at Microsoft yeah. and, and your role in particular with that, that project. Yeah. What's super cool about the program is that there's been this long history of innovation that for people with disabilities that ends up impacting all of us. And my favorite example of that is that uh, <laughs> smartphones wouldn't exist if it weren't for people with disabilities. And the reason is that when you use an on-screen keyboard to text or to type, that keyboard was actually created a long time ago for people with physical disabilities who couldn't actually type, whether for weakness or uh, loss of a limb or anything. And now... It's being used by all of us because we're not carrying keyboards around with us so we can type on our phones. You know, this, the, the phones create such a limiting experience for us. And that's what technology for people with disabilities is about, is just really what abilities do you have and let's amplify those. So um, because of that long history of innovation, what we're doing in the AI for Accessibility program is just funding projects that are working on that next wave of innovation. And so I get to spend my time talking to people who are working on that next wave and then kind of figuring out who to fund and how to piece that all together into this, what this future is going to look like for all of us. Because like I said, when we innovate for people with disabilities, we end up impacting all of us. So I get to kind of look into the future and play some bets, basically. Mm. That sounds like a ton of fun. <laughs> it is. Yeah, I get to talk to really smart people like Lois and Matthew and uh, give them money and support to do cool stuff. Uh, Lois, can you share a bit about your background and uh, iTherapy? Absolutely, Sam. Um, like Wendy, our journey started about 25 years ago when I became a speech-language pathologist um, working with people who had communication challenges in one way or another. Um, at that time, technology was all about getting the old technology from the general population, and then we had to adapt it to um, our students who needed communication technology. Um, when the iPad came out, that kind of flipped the model for us, and it was um, very impressive. And I noticed how a lot of my students who had um, significant challenges, complex communication needs were gravitating towards the iPad, and it um, encouraged me to write a book called Apps for Autism. So as I was writing that book, I noticed that there's certain um, features that kids um, would attend to and use, and they'll use it without even us prompting them to use it, and there are certain features that they don't really care about. So taking all of those things that all my students really loved, we put them into inner voice to capture their attention and teach them communication. And also just to give kids with complex communication needs or complex sensory needs the latest, greatest technology and just let them communicate more or less like everyone else. Um, so we created the app inner voice. And then when the, uh, we, we saw the artificial intelligence grant, 
we thought it was absolutely perfect to just keep the students, keep our ideas rolling along, make it easier, faster, more fluent, and really put our kids with um, communication challenges at the forefront of technology instead of um, 10 years behind everyone else using all the equipment that everyone else no longer uses. So this has been wonderful for us because as our kids use this, they really draw in everybody around them thinking, oh, this is so cool. I want to see what you're doing. I want to come and use it also. Um, so it's been a big boost for us. And I understand that you're also trained in animal assistive therapy <laughs> and you have a, a therapy pig named Buttercup. Is, is that correct? <laughs> absolutely. Buttercup is is more famous than anything else I've ever done. He's absolutely wonderful. And I chose a potbelly pig because I specifically work and I specialize in autism. Um, and a lot of kids with autism definitely have trouble with, with dogs because they've heard them bark before or they've been jumped on or something's happened. So they have um, already a preconceived notion about a dog or a cat. Um, they may have gotten scratched, but a pig, they had absolutely no idea what to do with a pig and it was breaking new ground. Um, and it's just a matter of just getting something that captures their attention and using it to create communication opportunities, much like the iPad. When the iPad came along, it was the exact same thing. We're using this high interest item, whether it's a pig or an iPad, to capture their interest and then teach them communication with it. But he's, he's great. He's great. <laughs> Uh, so I bring that up mostly because I have a daughter who's studying psychology and loves animals. And her goal is to do animal assisted therapy. And I can now tell her that I interviewed <laughs> an animal assisted therapist and finally get her to listen to one of my podcast episodes. <laughs> Perfect. We're here to help. <laughs> so, Matthew, uh, how about you? Can you speak a little bit about your background and the uh, maybe go and take us into a little bit more detail into the iTherapy uh, app and how it uses AI? Absolutely. My background at first actually was as a uh, as a musician. So um, I uh, am actually a drummer. So I really have been interested in just how you learn skills. Um, drumming is uh, takes a long time to learn, takes a lot of study. And that's very similar to how speech and language develops. I mean, speech and language is, uh, those are probably two of the most difficult skills people can learn. And so I was really fascinated by how do you actually learn to communicate and using words. And uh, just like Lois, uh, I specialize with uh, people with autism. I'm a certified autism specialist in addition to being a speech pathologist. And early on, uh, when I started working with kids with autism, the, one of the most difficult things about teaching them skills was to um, show them things that captured their interests. That uh, and and you know, interest leads to uh, to leads to learning because if you're not interested in something, it's hard to pay attention. It's hard to hard to learn things you don't pay attention to. Um, so what? When the iPad came out, I noticed, wow, and this you could really capture people's interests with, with the iPad, just like Lois was saying. And so uh, we started, uh, the, the first version of Inner Voice was just using um, facial recognition technology to model uh, um, speech. And so this is kind of similar how a musician learns, you know, you go to your drum teacher, he shows you something, you copy it, and then you practice. And it was really interesting. Um, that uh, how 
you could, I could get tons of kids to imitate what was on the screen, but not necessarily what I would model for them. And so how we've kind of woven in the uh, uh, AI component using the Azure uh, vision services, this is to me really, it's great because we've, we've been testing it with uh, users now and it kind of mimics the way uh, um, people learn language. You're, so for example, you look at something, you're, let's say you're a child, you look at something, you point to it, your parents, you know, call it, uh, you point to an animal, your parents say, that's a pig. And then you, the child says pig, and then they know what a pig is. Um, so what we've done with uh, the vision services is that uh, now uh, a user, uh, let's say a, a kid who's using the, uh, using inner voice can use this feature we've called visual language and, uh, he or she can take a picture of, of a pig, for example, and what will happen is this will uh, the photo will get sent to a cloud, and then that will get paired with text, and the the text appears back on the screen, and uh, the avatar, which was from our original version, will read the text so they can see themselves saying the word, um, and then pair that word with the image and uh, you know the written text. And this is something that we've developed. It's uh, uh, called multisensory semiotics. So semiotics is how you assign meaning to a symbol. So uh, by using this uh, AI technology, we've been able to pair speech and language with, uh, with photos and it, and it can be interest driven. So let's say a, a kid wants to know what something is in the room, he can take a picture of it and it can be labeled and spoken for him or her and then they can imitate it and learn um, kind of through self-motivation, uh, you know, what things are called and um, how to how to label or describe things in their environment. Wendy, I'm curious when you think about, again, this intersection of AI and accessibility, you know, on the one hand, AI presents an opportunity to allow us to I guess, connect more directly or to provide better support for people that need it. On the other hand, there's there's also a risk that, um, you know, the people that need support get left behind or left out of the innovation that's happening, you know, yeah. with AI. And I'm, I'm curious, how do you think about, you know, those two? Are there other factors that you think of? Like, what's the perspective that you bring to um, supporting organizations that are trying to do work in, in kind of the, the confluence of these fields? That's a great question. And there, there are several different ways that we can go with that. Um, on the one hand, the people being left behind and not included is near and dear to my heart. Because as Lois talked about, um, technology and how people use it, um, it's just, it's really, uh, what I guess what I really want to focus on is that it's so important for us to, as we're building new technology, that we're really bringing everyone who's going to be using it into get, get them around the table and involved in the process. And I think that's why when we see these amazing innovations like the on-screen keyboard, that was because someone, a developer, was working with someone with a disability. And so... I think one of the things I'm excited about that we're doing is we're specifically looking for projects that are firmly grounded in the community in which they're intending to benefit. And ideally, I want to be a shark tank of entrepreneurs with disabilities 
And so part of that is just making sure that folks have the skills to really contribute. It also makes means that we're looking at data sets and, and we're looking at bias in data sets. And I think one of the things that we're excited about is um, the photographs that are taken by people who are blind or have low vision. Um, they're not going to be perfectly framed. And so, uh, you know, how are they going to how does that affect the models and the training that's been done before? So we want to make sure that there's a good diversity there so that folks are included. And then we get all the good, innovative, juicy stuff, too. And I just I have so many great stories about that, where when you really include people and bring them around the table that you uh, you just you get to do some really good stuff. <laughs> I'd love to hear some of those stories. Um, yeah. And I think the other thing about it, too, is just um, so Saqib, who's uh, one of our engineers that worked on the Seeing AI uh, project is still working on that. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with seeing AI. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah. Please. So it's an iPhone app right now. And there's a really great demo of Sacha and one of my colleagues, Ann Taylor. And the reason I love this demo is that, so she's blind, she's using seeing AI and he writes on a piece of paper. Um, accessibility is awesome. And so she's able to feel where the paper is, take a picture of it, uh, it's the text, the handwriting is recognized and read out loud to her. And for her, that means now that she can read uh, cards or, you know, business cards or, you know, letters from family and friends. And so I think it's really, it's empowering. And I think that's really cool. And I think when you start looking at the dream that Saqib has of when he's walking around with a friend who knows him and his preferences, um, he's his friend is able to say, is able to recognize what he's interested in and maybe tell him this is what's changed since the last time we were here or give some color about what's happening in the space. But when you look at that, that's just another eyes-free interface. And it's something that I think we'd all use. When I'm touristing in a new place um, and I don't know the language, or I don't want to be looking at my phone for directions because I don't want to appear to be a tourist, and I want some of that feedback in my ear and getting it tailored to me, that's something we can all use. So again, that's kind of what I feel the power is for us. Is And that, and that goes kind of back to the decision-making as well. In those instances, we're helping people make better decisions because we're giving them information that they didn't have before. Um, it's, so it doesn't really matter if you're disabled or not, right? Mm -hmm. You want information so you can make better decisions. And that's really what this is about, I think. Yeah, I love the, this recurring theme of the, the innovations that uh, we are creating to uh, support people with disabilities kind of coming back full circle and impacting the way we use technology, uh, yeah. the way everyone uses technology. Exactly. And I mean, what... Where I really hope the world goes is that by making sure that we're all at the table and contributing, we're not creating barriers and disability kind of disappears. Because one of my favorite quotes is, it's the stairs that make the building inaccessible, not the wheelchair. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's the beauty of it, right? If we can really design the world such that everyone can participate – it's just not really a thing anymore. We're we're all benefiting. We're all benefiting from these connections with other people. Mm -hmm. um, so again, that's the juicy part with AI, because our devices now have so many sensors in them and can give us information that we may miss, whether we're eyes busy or we're blind. And uh, so that's 
there's just so much opportunity there. Absolutely. Lois, can you elaborate on the kind of experiences you've seen with the users of the Inner Voice app and uh, the kind of impact it's had for them? Absolutely. We've been um, using this in our clinic and in school districts. Um, and we're even branching out now into hospitals with folks who may have had strokes or head injuries. But um, initially, it was made for video self-modeling, where you take a picture and you see yourself producing um, the target language or the target word. Um, and then we added in um, the vision where they can take a picture, just like, like um, Wendy said. It's, it's amazing. They can take a picture of words or a thing. And then the avatar says what that is. And across the board from um, the youngest student, which we have is probably around two to some of the oldest, which are in their 80s, it's amazement. They get so, their mouths just drop and um, it becomes then the, um, I call it like a, an electric communication environment. Now everyone's coming over, asking about it, wanting to use it. And it just produces this, this place where now we want to talk and the, the students want to talk about what they're doing. And, um, and then our students start adding in characters that they like and they make their characters talk. So it's all about just um, providing these wonderful opportunities for not only the student to talk, but people to come in and say, oh, my gosh, show me what you're doing. What's going on? Where our kids quite literally never had those opportunities before. So um, they're leading the pack in that manner so, because they do have all this wonderful AI embedded because of um, the Azure services. So they're leading the way and nobody's ever seen this. So they get to be um, the cool kid. Um, and I think Wendy hit it uh, a little bit before when she was talking about the universal design, because then I went and used it with a student who was um, bilingual and didn't have any English at all. And using a translator app, we were able to put in one language and speak a different language. So the, the technology is just absolutely amazing. And we can almost hit any kind of a challenge and overcome it right now. And it's it's never happened that way for us before. Technology was something that was cumbersome and hard to use, but no more. Everyone has it in the palm of their hands. And um, again, our kids are like leading the way at this point in time. Matthew, can you share a little bit about your experience in using this, using AI as a technologist, building uh, it into the application? What was your background with regards to AI and how did that inform the way you incorporated it into the app? Well, I've always loved technology. I've always been someone who just uh, loves to read about technology or learn how it works. Uh, my first and foremost background in terms of, I guess, you know, scientific background is communication sciences. And so I looked into how AI could be used uh for that field and probably the one that first caught our my eye and then the, how uh, Lois and I developed our visual language feature was was the uh, uh, character recognition like uh, describing the feature we I was talking about before pairing images to text so I thought wow that is a fantastic way to help with literacy and help with possibly help people who maybe just want to learn a different language. It could be applied. And if you have no disability at all, it could be applied to that. The other aspect was I, I got really fascinated by the smart bot technology that uh, particularly Microsoft has now. 
so they have a, a number of these services, text-to-speech, and then the, uh, the language understanding and question, Q&A frameworks. And it's almost sort of like they're, you can see a lot of this in their Cortana app that they've uh, released. And that back to kind of tying back to my uh, background as a musician, you, you have to practice things to be good at them. And I thought, well, what a great way to make practice motivational for, for kids or anyone by, you know, you can make a, a bot that'll interact with you and you can ask it questions. Uh, you can find out information. And one of the trickiest things to, to teach any person with you know, communication challenges is to initiate a communication exchange, but a bot is kind of a friendly place to start. You can say, hey, what's, what's the weather? What time is it? Or what's a platypus or, you know, what's a pot belly pig. And then the, the, the pot or the, I had to tie that. And so the, the, the bot can come back with an answer and it's motivating because being motivated uh, uh, really is a huge factor in communication and AI can, can answer infinite questions about a subject that maybe an individual is only interested in. I mean, so uh, I, I think it's sort of a long answer to your question, but there's a host of reasons why I got into uh, AI and particularly for communication sciences. We're going to see how many times we can say pig in this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Did you specifically work on the integration with, the Azure services into the app or was that uh, work that was done by other folks or uh, via Microsoft? Oh, so we, uh, our, our role at specifically Lois and I do this, we work on the UX UI design uh, first and foremost. And then uh, we work closely with uh, a developer who has helped us from the beginning design intervoice. His name is uh, Junichi Fujita. He's a, amazing guy. And so uh, we we went through some of these t- tutorials about how to to integrate uh, the Azure services into our existing code because basically you're leveraging the cloud-based services into uh, our iOS code because it's currently Intervoices and um, iOS. And so we contracted with uh, Junichi who, who did the coding for us because um, I'm actually not a coder. I'm a, a I, a speech pathologist. And so uh, we come up with the designs or find the technology, make sure it's feasible for what we want to do. And then he is brilliant at being able to translate that pretty much exactly to our specifications. So we've worked with them for a long time. Are you aware of any challenges or impediments that, uh, that you and he ran into in incorporating AI and these cognitive services into the application? They were actually stunningly easy to integrate. Uh, the The biggest <laughs> problem was the UI UX stuff. <laughs> so uh, that we kept going back and forth. Well, how how should it look? What's the easiest way for it to be used by uh, users? Because we do a lot of user testing. So we we don't just think, hey, I think people will like this. We actually design something based on observation and and interviews with people and then we try it with them and then they either like it or think, Oh, this is no good. And then we go back and redesign it. So most of the challenges were just in that aspect, but in terms of integrating the, the Azure services into uh, our code, it was really easy. Yeah. They've had an easy time. 
<laughs> which is great. I think when I look to some of our other grantees, I think they're they're going to be pushing the limits of the technology. Um, in particular, when we look at some of the work that Zy Robotics is doing, um, they're looking at speech recognition for students with non-typical speech patterns, mm-hmm. and so they're really having to train the data and expand what the you know what it can recognize. Um, we've got another grantee from the University of Iowa. Um, and she's using a camera to help athletes who are blind and running around jogging tracks. And so the cool part about that one is with a jogging track, you have clear lines in most tracks, right? <laughs> kind of indicating where the lanes are. So once they get those recognizers working in real time, they will be able to tell someone they're starting to veer out of their lane. Now, the problem is getting that working fast enough on the device. Right in real time so that you're not getting it like, oops, a few you know seconds later and you've run into somebody. Um, and these are, you know, athletes who are, who are actively competing. And if we can get some, solve some of those issues, the independence is, is great. That's incredible. I happen to live very close to a school for the blind and uh, I see their track all the time oh. <laughs> and they've got these, I don't know if uh, listeners have ever seen these, but they've uh, basically got these guide wires along yeah. the lanes and exactly. so they can still participate in the activity. Um, but I can envision you know, bringing AI to a device that the, the athlete can, uh, can wear totally – eliminates the need for a specialized setup. They can yep. compete, you know, with other athletes exactly. uh, and, you know, be on a level playing ground with uh, the help of uh, a model that's running in a phone. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So there's some going to be some really hard challenges with that one. Um, and I can't talk yet about this next round, but we're in the midst of interviewing our, basically what we do, we, we kind of are operating like a shark tank. And so after we review a bunch of the applications, we'll invite them in for a pitch meeting just to kind of meet folks and get a sense of what they're really doing. And so <laughs> I'm very excited about some of the ones we're hearing this week. This is pitch week for us. And so we'll be announcing in January then this kind of next round. Um, but people – and again, now that there's some a maturity to the program um, and, you know, it, it helps that, you know, Sacha has been out there talking about it too – um, we're getting some really cool applications. So I think we were very lucky with uh, iTherapy in our first round in Zyrobotics, and now we're just, it's really growing. And so we've got, we've got some fun things in the works. Um, but yeah, I, and I think too, there's, there's just so many opportunities to use, you know, Internet of Things and just all these sensors. Um, uh, and, you know, from my own, so I have PTSD, and so I have so many sensors kind of monitoring different aspects of uh, heart rate and, you know, trying to predict just how I'm feeling. And I am still have not been able to pull together a dashboard that pulls together all my calendar and health data and, uh, you know, mood data and all of this stuff. And I think, like, I just I'm looking forward to some of what we can do. There's just so much more that we know um, and there's so many patterns that we can recognize. And then if we can kind of pull that together, again, it's about the decisions that it allows us to make. And so I'm really excited about that. Uh, it, it, it's funny that you mentioned patterns because that was the word that's, that was floating in my mind mm. um, around this next question. And that's really about the patterns that you see as you work with uh, 
organizations that are using uh, AI in an accessibility context. And, and I think the, the, the broader part of the, the question is around, you know, as we've started to work with accessibility in a broader computing context, we've developed, you know, specifications and guidelines um, that at this point are fairly well understood and, and codified. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm curious, do you, do you see AI for accessibility evolving in a similar way or is there not a need for that? How do you see that evolving? That's a really great question. And my work at MIT was on some of those standards. And so (laughs) that's right in my wheelhouse. Um, I'm not sure about that, honestly. I do think, though, as I'm reviewing – so part of my time, too, is is giving feedback to folks who – well, let me put it this way. I do a lot of educating about possibilities. And so I do spend time when people are creating plans for how to use AI in their organizations, um, making sure that they're considering all scenarios and not accidentally creating more barriers. Um, And so I know there's work going on with other types of guidelines. Like there are some, there's some work right now at W3C in terms of cognitive disabilities and some new suggestions on how to make websites more accessible for folks who have learning disabilities or even emotional disabilities. Um, I am very curious to see where things go in terms of augmented reality and, uh, in VR. Um, I was looking at a, a manufacturing, someone talking about manufacturing the other day and how to bring AI into the the floor, the manufacturing floor, and really looking at, you know, there's opportunities here, I think, for people with disabilities to have be employed in some of these new jobs, as long as people really consider what's how it's being designed. So for example, in a manufacturing scenario, getting feedback from a bot about how something is working or being notified that, hey, we've noticed, we've detected that this run has some errors in it. We're we're seeing some patterns. And just making sure that the information is being presented, if it's audible, well, but it's also going to be in text. So what's interesting to me is that I think a lot of the potential issues I'm seeing have already been documented. And it's kind of just the same things over and over. And it doesn't surprise me because that's kind of what I've seen in my career, right? I did, I analyzed Java years ago and said, here are the things that we need to do to make sure that if you're using Java, your applications are going to be accessible. And the concepts haven't really shifted that much. You know, I think if you have visual information, you need to make sure you also have auditory and tactile information. And just because you never know the scenario someone's going to be in. And again, I just, I'm going to tie it back because I really want to drive the point home that the anytime pig? you do that, huh? The pig? Oh, a pig! <laughs> yes! <No. laughs> oh That's my the God. thematic continuity I, there. How can I integrate pig into that? That's a good challenge. Because no matter what you're doing, uh, it could be used by a pig. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> you never know the scenario that someone's going to be in. And you never know the oppor- the kind of scenario, the uh the environment that someone's in, right? So for captions, especially on that manufacturing floor, it's got to be really loud. So I was actually really surprised that they were designing something that was audible without being visual because I'm like, isn't it going to be noisy? I mean, I think everyone is going to ex- be experiencing hearing loss in, in, you know, on this floor. So, you know, it was just surprising, surprising to me. So, 
Yeah, I don't know that we'll have new standards, but you never know. It kind of depends on what evolves. I do actually, now that I think about it, I think with data subs, I think we are going to have to have some standards that clearly ensure that we have good diversity and all the conversations going on about bias. I mean, that that's a big part of it right there is just making sure that we aren't accidentally continuing to discriminate against people with disabilities. Because unfortunately, that is quite a reality, Um, especially when you look at, yeah, well, I'll just say that. We, and that's part of the culture change I think AI can really help with is is ensuring that we're supporting a culture of more diversity. Yeah, I think one of the things that's most exciting about all the work that's happening in so many places about AI for social good uh, and uh, the various aspects of it is just how intersectional it is. The, you know, the issues yeah. of the, the folks that are working on AI ethics and AI bias and and now the work that uh, we're discussing here around accessibility it ties in in so many ways mm-hmm. and I guess what's kind of bringing that thought to mind is just the I have lots of conversations about bias and bias in data sets mm-hmm. bias in you know AI systems and you know to think about how important that is in this context yes uh, and then how. You know, we, as we overcome those issues and create new, you know, technologies here, how that feeds into the technologies that we all uh, benefit from. Yeah. I can't help but think it creates exciting opportunities for folks that want to kind of jump into this this field. Well, that's the thing. And I think that's when I've been talking. So some of our applicants aren't as familiar with disabilities. And that's great. They're familiar with AI and machine learning and they can see oh, this is how I can get the data you're looking for. And that's really a very cool thing is that if we can bring together people who are looking for ways that their work in AI and and machine learning can impact humans all over the planet, um, I think that's a very exciting opportunity where we can really start making those partnerships and bringing people together, kind of matchmaking, you know, like, hey, we see over here that this community has this need is there anyone out there doing something similar and we can pair you together and then you know you can test this out and continue to evolve your work in a way that's really going to be impactful for somebody and you know one of the things we keep saying is we're funding projects that are developed with or by people with disabilities Um, and again that's because it's when it's grounded in reality then you know you get something good you know Lois and Matthew talk about how much of their time is around the UX and I think that's so important, you know. Um, I, I, that's where the uh, that's where the really good stuff comes from mm-hmm. is when you're really looking at how people use this and how they are going to integrate it into their daily lives. What it allows people to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lois, when you look forward, what you know, what do you see in terms of uh, incorporating AI more deeply in what iTherapy is doing? Um, well, we have we have plans probably up and through the next ten years to <laughs> <laughs> to continue using this. We have great plans. It's really made uh, you know it's made a big difference with a lot of our students. Um, however, one of the main the main pain points that they have is um, by the time they come up with something to say or they they can't or join a conversation. The conversation's done. It, it's fluency. It's the rate that they speak. Um, and that's across the board and across abilities and um, ages. 
is that if you're using a device to speak and not using your own voice, it takes a lot longer. So that is probably the gap I would love to bridge is that someone who cannot use their natural voice can jump into a conversation and um, speak like anyone else. That's going to be difficult. And that's absolutely going to be AI. Um, currently, the, it takes so long for, for people to either generate a sentence or um, search for the word they want to say that most folks check out of the conversation and, and our folks don't really get to have one-on-one -on -one conversations unless they're pre-made and scripted. Um, so that's our, I think my ultimate, ultimate goal is folks who have challenges speaking can speak like just about anyone else. Yeah, that's a really beautiful moonshot. There's a lot of these things in AI where we look for that real time with the jogging track, that real time mm -hmm. feedback and here, real time speech generation. Um, and we see that in a lot of scenarios. And I think that's, yeah, I agree. That's, that's, the, that's the vision. That's a good vision. Uh, Matthew, what's, what are you most excited about from uh, an AI perspective? Well, we are looking into uh, coming up with some uh, diagnostic tools, uh, which I think are going to be really cool. I think they, so we're hoping to come up with, uh, we're just in the preliminary pieces of this now, but using AI to analyze uh, data through possibly uh, a Q&A uh, framework and to, to help people uh, create solutions for um, communication delays or disorders. And, you know, so basically uh, one of the ways that we, as speech pathologists, uh, um, evaluate people now, it's through kind of the paper and pencil test, and then you have to score it, and then it just becomes kind of cumbersome. And then they're, so what we're hoping is we're, ta we're taking a look at some kind of far out ideas. Uh, in fact, I read this article in Wired magazine about a guy named uh, Carl Friston, who's into this concept called free energy. And so we were thinking of, of some ways to take that concept and apply that to uh, diagnosing communication disorder. So I, I think that's pretty exciting. So we're, that should be in the next few years. So that's, that's my, I guess, uh, goal for the future is to develop that among other things. <laughs> nice. Nice. Uh, so Wendy, I gather that by the time folks get an opportunity to listen to this podcast, you'll be, you know, just in the midst of finalizing your next round of grantees. Yeah, yep. Uh, but for the for folks that hear this and are interested in in working with this program, what does the process tend to look like? And you know, when should they start looking for the the next round to open up? Yeah, well, so we accept applications anytime. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. we're, we're constantly kind of reviewing them, um, and the link to apply <laughs> is Feel really free. easy. It's aka.ms slash grant. Super easy. So aka.ms slash grant. Um, yeah. So you pull together an application um, and uh, we'll review that. We're really looking for projects that um, are going to elevate the industry. We're, we're not as interested in funding just someone to develop an application. We want someone who is going to uh, contribute something back because for us, that's really how we're going to raise the water and, and bring up the boat, you know? And so that's part of what we're looking at is, is either someone willing to contribute a data set or a model or some other learning, whether research paper or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, 
and obviously someone who's, uh, whether by themselves or through partnership or grounded in community, um, and that it's something that'll be feasible to accomplish in a year. So while we we really are looking for projects that will go beyond a year and there's, there's something that can be built on, the grants are year-long grants. And so there, there needs to be some deliverable in that year. Um, but yeah, and we encourage every, anyone to apply. I mean, literally anyone from anywhere. So we've done a push in Latin America. We're going to be reaching out to Asia soon. Uh, we do have grantees in different uh, regions. We have a few folks in Europe, uh, one in India, and we're really looking to expand that because uh, especially I'd really encourage folks in Asia and, and Latin America because uh, I recently learned, and just to spend a moment on Latin America, that the, uh, un the unemployment rate in general for people with disabilities is usually twice that of people without and the average age is 30 years old in, in Latin America. And to me, that's like prime employment age. And so we really want to shift those employment numbers. To that point, we really are looking for, for applications and projects that are going to have an impact in our focus areas, which are employment, daily life, and communication and connection. So, uh, for example, uh, Lois and Matthew, this is communication and connection. Um, the jogging track, that's daily life because that's, you know, out and about being independent. Um, and then employment is another one we've got from Vanderbilt is a good example where they're building uh, a bot that can help someone who has autism and, you know, is interested in, in um, practicing for job interviews and stuff like that. So it's going to – it does some really cool uh, modification of the interview to help someone practice. So, um, Yeah. I encourage anybody, and it, NGO, nonprofit, individuals, companies, um, as long as you meet some of those criteria, go for it. And are they fixed size grants or what's They're the not. range? Yeah. So right now we have a couple categories. We've got one set of grants where we're, uh, it's just called an Azure Credits. And so we're just giving folks credits to just play and learn and, and see what they come up with, make some progress on their idea. The other one is kind of an Azure Credits Plus. And in that one, that's the category that, that um, Matthew and Lois are in, is uh, we have a community. We have a lot of support in terms of uh, education. And we've got uh, on-staff folks who can help with technical questions, integration with Azure. We've got great connections with cognitive services, Microsoft Research. So we can really support folks in their development and give them cash for uh, engineering costs or data acquisition, data cleaning, data labeling, you know, kind of some of those pieces just needed to build. Um, and right now, we don't, we're not really saying much about how much it is. We're new. We're kind of experimenting with how much we give people <laughs> and what results we get. So, uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Do you by any chance have a a wish list of ideas that you'd love to fund? <laughs> I do, yes. We have several moonshots uh, that I'd love to see. Um, I want to see a self-driving wheelchair. Mm. Um, I want to see a dashboard for people with PTSD. Like I said, that I want that dashboard for myself that pulls together all the data that I have and really learns and can start recommending and predicting. Um, I want Saqib to get his digital assistant so that he can be out and about as he's traveling and get, you know, information to make 
decisions. Um, I'd love for my friend who is deaf, who recently uh, went in for a surgery and her sign language interpreter was late. Uh, so she had to lip read and it was very scary. She didn't have all the information. But if she had had kind of a backup interpreter that could help her in that situation, uh, and you know, the doctor couldn't wait, you know. So I think those are some of the things that we're looking for. Yeah. And then I'm just curious to learn what other ideas people have out there. Like I said, there are some things I heard this week I hadn't even thought were needed. <laughs> and now I really want to fund them. So fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, well, Wendy, Lois, and Matthew, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us about AI for accessibility. Thank uh, you. Lois and Matthew, in particular, congratulations for what you're doing. It sounds like a great application with a lot of impact and uh, Wendy, uh, great program. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah, thanks. Thanks so much. Thank you, Sam. All right, everyone, that's our show for today. To learn more about today's guest or the topics mentioned in this interview, visit twimmelai.com. Of course, if you like what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcatcher. Thanks so much for listening and catch you next time.